I'd like to ask you to uh, open your copy of God's Word, if I could, to Isaiah chapter 30. The title of my message today is Lessons I've Learned from a Sabbatical. About a year ago, I began to notice some changes in my own life. Not all positive. I was feeling dull. Dull in my prayer life. Kind of just worn out from all the years of ministry. I've been preaching for 44 years. Started when I was just a baby. <laughs> I started when I was 15 years old. And I noticed that even in my work, there was just a lack of joy, a lack of creativity in it. And, and it, my, my just daily kind of supervising staff and organizing ministries and ministry teams, there, there had come over me kind of just a dullness about what it was all about. It was like, Lord, can I last another 10 years? I don't know. And about that time, a few of our pastors in the area, Eric Howell from Dayspring Baptist Church and Kerry Killo from Meadowbrook Baptist Church, had gone on sabbaticals. And so I, I called them up and arranged to have coffee with them and pick their mind and say, what, what was that like? Why did you do that? And how did that work? And what happened? So I had then approached my board, the board of the association, and asked them if they would consider giving me a sabbatical leave. They did, very graciously, very generously, beginning in May through the month of June. I took six weeks just to be away from, to unplug from the work and to be alone with God and to see if I could experience some sort of renewal in my life. During that time, the Lord showed up in a wonderful way. That's what I'd like to talk about this morning just a little bit. How I found rest in the Lord as an important thing to incorporate into our lives. Sometimes the most important thing we can do is nothing. That's counterintuitive to our American way of doing things, you know. We're always the get her done kind of people. We, especially in Texas, you know, we're the kind of folks that if something needs to get done, the answer is always work harder, work faster, work more, and we'll get her done. You know, it's just we, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we, we put it on, and we, we just do whatever it takes to get her done. But during that time of sabbatical, leading up to it, preparing for it, and then doing the sabbatical and then afterwards, one key verse became kind of theme for me, and that's in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength but you would have none of it. Let me read that one more time. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Let me back up and give you that story that this, this uh, verse comes from. About 700 B.C., the Israelites were facing a terrible threat from the Assyrians. The Assyrian Empire was rising up from three sides around them and threatening to come in and conquer them uh, with a cruel military machine. In their desperation, the leaders of Israel decided they had a brilliant idea. 
We will, cons- we will secure the help of Egypt by stripping down the remaining gold that was on the walls and the doors and the surfaces of the temple and even the golden artifacts from the worship of God. And we'll put those all on wagons and we'll send them down to Egypt with envoys and purchase the aid of the Egyptian army against the Assyrian attack. That's why Isaiah stood up and spoke to those same leaders and in verse 1 said, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in zone and their envoys have arrived in Haines, everyone will be put to shame because of the people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. You think that Egypt is going to help you? God calls them in verse 6, useless. The word actually there is similar to the word for hippopotamus. Have you ever seen a hippopotamus in a zoo? You've, you've, you've seen, yeah, what do they do typically? Not very much, right? <laughs> you know, if you're lucky, they're sitting in the water about up to here in the, in, in, with the water up to their noses. And if an exciting moment passes, they'll yawn. You know, and, and they may lumber out of the water and flop down on the sand, maybe, if you're lucky. But basically, that's the image that God was saying, that is what Egypt will be for you. A big, fat waste of time. So in that context, God tells them that in, rest, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. As I was preparing for the Camino of Santiago, that's the Christian pilgrimage that's been used for more than a thousand years in Spain. I chose that because I felt like that would be a place where I might possibly experience renewal. The board and I worked together on a plan and I decided this, this, is, this would be a good, a good thing for me to do. And basically, I decided before I would go that I wasn't going to look at any news. I wasn't going to use any email. wasn't going to read any um, social media. wasn't going to listen to music. And as I went, I would just experience silence. Out there in nature with a 30-pound backpack, I set out from Irún, Spain, and started walking along the northern coast of, of Spain, 450 miles over 30 days heading towards the city of Santiago de Compostela. I wasn't real sure what I would experience or how I'd experience it, but I was really hoping that I would begin to hear from the Lord. For the first week of my walk, carrying the backpack, we went through four days of torrential rain, just soaked. I mean, just everything got absolutely soaking wet. My mind was still buzzing and full of all the noise of just everyday life, all the problems that need to be solved, all the people that need to be seen, all the things that need to be started. 
You know, just the busyness of life kept on hounding me. But after about a week of walking in the wilderness, I began to notice the birds singing, the rivers running, the beautiful mountains, the gorgeous sunsets, and the people that came across my path. I began to hear, and what I felt the Lord telling me in such an unusual way was not really what I was expecting to hear. You know, I thought, well, maybe the Lord will show me a a new initiative for the association to take. Or maybe, you know, we'll get a new glimpse of a strategy to help churches to be stronger and to grow better and those kinds of things. But along the way, the message that began to emerge out of that experience was very simple and very profound for my life. I felt the Lord telling me again and again, Tim, I love you. Well, I know that, Lord. I know you love me. I, I've heard that all my life. Grew up in a pastor's home. Preached it all my life. And yet each morning waking up and hearing it again. But Tim, I don't know if you know how much I love you. It began to soak in that my life was genuinely really in his hands. I was walking through a mountain town one day by myself, backpack, walking sticks. And a strange man came running across the street at me. Middle-aged Spanish guy, never seen him before in my life. I thought, that's interesting. <laughs> I wondered where my wallet was at that moment. I, you know. <laughs> and and he came up beside me and he said, hi, I'm in, in Spanish. I'm fluent in Spanish, so all of our conversations were in Spanish. But he came up and he introduced himself and he said, hi, I'm Nicolas. And I said, well, hi, Nicholas. Nice to meet you. And he said, well, everybody calls me Nacho. Well, hi, Nacho. Nice to meet you. And, and he walked with me for a little bit and he said, see that purple house up on top of the hill? Yeah, that's my house. And all those cattle up there, those are, those are all my cows. I'm a dairy farmer and nice to meet you, Nacho. I was still wondering, this is kind of kind of strange, you know. And then a few yards later, he pulled in front of me and faced me and stopped me from walking. He put his finger up in my face. He says, you need to know that you're never, ever alone. Then he said, I'll see you later. He took off and walked up on top of the mountain. A few days later, I became ill, had a digestive infection, an upper respiratory infection, fever, dehydrated. You know, I just wasn't doing very well at at about day 20. I needed medical attention. So I walked down the stairs in the hotel where I was and the, the albergue where I was and asked the lady at the front desk where I could find a doctor. She pointed me four blocks down the street. Through that experience of receiving amazing medical care, the doctor just sent me down, talked to me so kind, sent me in a taxi to the nearest hospital. They put me in the hospital and put IVs in, and one of the ladies there in the hospital, her name was Nieves, which means snow in Spanish. Nieves came up and grabbed my hand with both of her hands, and she said, I want you to know that you're taken care of, that 
you're going to be okay. Towards the end of my walk, I'd let my beard grow, just didn't want to shave while I was out walking in the wilderness. Hair grow a little bit. I needed a shave and a haircut because my beard looked really bad. <laughs> I walked into a barber shop in this little town towards, uh, closer towards the end of the trek. This lady barber came out and she was giving me a nice little haircut and we were just chit-chatting, chit-chatting, chit-chatting. Towards the end of the haircut, she stopped, stood in front of me and said, with her finger raised at me, you need to know how loved you are. Pretty strange thing for a barber to say. By that time, I was getting it. It was like, yeah, I'm loved. You, my God, are with me. You're walking with me. I'm not alone. In this world and the problems I might face, the job I might do, the things that I'm going through, whatever it is, Lord, I am not alone and you're loving me and you're with me and you're going to take care of me. And it's all okay. With that renewed sense of the presence of God, I finished the journey Change some things about the way I do daily life. And remind myself regularly that I'm never alone. That Christ loves me in particular. One of the hopes that I had when I was going on this trip was to learn how to be a good sheep. A weird thing, but I talked to some coaches, and, and through the process, I realized I've always read all the scriptures about shepherds and sheep in the scriptures from the point of view of learning how to be a better pastor, you know, learning how to be a good shepherd, take care of people. And at some point along that journey, the Lord helped me to see, Tim, you need to learn how to be a good sheep. So I took pictures of sheep all along the way. And I saw some sheep in incredible, beautiful pastures, well taken care of, beautiful sheep. And I saw some other sheep that were pretty nasty, pretty bad conditions. And began to realize the Lord is my shepherd. I really don't lack anything. I need to trust him. And that's where this verse came in to be so much meaning for me. Through my life, as I go, as I work, as I live with my family, walk through problems that we might have, my main challenge isn't working harder. My main barrier isn't being smarter. My main problem is not just putting more effort into it all. My main problem is trusting God more. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You see, our salvation isn't in our own hands. Even from the minute daily problems that we might face, our own rescue isn't good enough. We need the help of God. And it's when we rest in that that we find 
He's really taking care of us. One of the reasons I've preached this message in several congregations around Central Texas is I'm encouraging churches to consider including a sabbatical policy for their pastors. I know that pastors can get burned out after a lot of years of just laboring away, loving on people, leading an organization, doing all that it takes to be a shepherd or a pastor these days. I recommend that every church includes some sort of sabbatical policy to help their pastor find that space for personal renewal, for being away, for finding new direction, for finding a new word from the Lord. Your pastor needs it. Be a great conversation to have with him, with your deacons, with the other church leaders. What does it take? Well, six weeks to two months, your church could survive without him. You may think, well, I don't know about that. I mean, John is a pretty special fellow, right? He is. But honestly, you have within you all the gifts, all the talents, all the knowledge you need to carry on church life for a little while. Well, he takes a time to be away, to be with God. That's a challenge I want to leave right there in front of you. Pretty blunt, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'm pretty direct. People call me a velvet brick, covered brick sometimes. <laughs> would you, would you talk about as a church, let's have a time to visit about giving our pastor sabbatical. The other reason I want to present this to you is that there are probably people in this room facing problems. And up to this moment, you've assumed that the solution to those problems is just to work harder. Could I ask you to reconsider that? That perhaps the real answer might be to take your hands off of it and say, Lord, I want you to show me what your answer is. I want you to show me that you're really here, really loving me, really taking care of this, and really walking with us through this problem. We think we have it all figured out, don't we? There was a story of uh, three men who were facing a firing squad, and uh, as the lieutenant had the soldiers line up with their rifles and the first detainee stood in front of the firing squad, the detainee had the bright idea that when this lieutenant would say, ready, aim, he shouted, tornado, run, hide. The soldiers, in their moment of distraction, allowed the detainee to escape. The second one got up. He thought, that's a pretty good idea. So as they were saying, ready, aim, the detainee shouted, earthquake, run, hide. He also escaped. The third one, he thought, I've got this figured out. So as the lieutenant shouted to the soldiers, ready, aim, the detainee shouted, fire! <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Sometimes, 
By our ingenuity, we only make things worse. Sometimes by insisting on trying to fix it, we only make it worse. If we would back up for just a little bit and say, what does God want here? How does God want to show himself faithful and loving in this situation? What resources does God want to bring? And consulting with God, we'll find a help that we never imagined possible. And we'll hear his voice like we never heard it before. And we'll see his hand work like we never thought was real. Israel's mistake when they were facing the Assyrian invasion was not that their battle plan was defective. It was that they failed to consult with God. In repentance and rest is your salvation.